Would you look with me at our text, Galatians 3. Beginning with verse 1, I'll read and pray, follow along. Comes out swinging. The Apostle Paul writes, <clears throat> Oh, foolish. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Verse 2, let me, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have you begun by the Spirit? Are, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the, the Scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And verse 9, so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. very words of God, would you pray with me for understanding? Father, <clears throat> Father, we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> we don't see what we don't see. We don't hear what we don't see. Unless, we don't, we don't believe unless you, you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds. Father, we confess once again that we are like blind beggars. <laughs> groping for something to hold on to to hope in and so we pray as we read your book that you would turn on the light breathe life into this room father father would you grant freedom from the tyranny of our own sin and the evil of this world Send your spirit, we pray. Help me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, I want to introduce you to a, an old gentleman, William Still. Um, I'm sure there's nobody in the room, maybe one or two that know who he is. William Still, he was a, a pastor in Scotland who for more than half a century preached the Bible faithfully. 50-some years, gave his life wholly to the people of the Church of Scotland. Never married, two sermons every Sunday, that sounds exhausting. Credited with tutoring some of the, best, the most well-known contemporary teachers and authors today who found themselves in one of his churches or in his fellowship. My favorite, it was included, Sinclair Ferguson. That was his pastor. When William Still retired at the ripe old age of 87, he was the oldest minister in Scotland. And then he passed, as that seems to always have. He passed shortly after he retired, just in the year 1997. Well, listen, Reverend Still, he would travel from church to church. 
He was a well-known evangelist and, and had evangelistic zeal and, and, and was, seemed to have a proven gift to fill old, dying Scottish churches with new converts and life. William Still, he would, he would travel all around Scotland, I guess in his free time after preaching two sermons on Sunday, and, and he would meet with the members and the leaders and pastors of these local congregations, these local Kirks, K-I-R-K, and one of the most common things he would hear when he vi- arrived and began to get a lay of the land, you know, familiarize himself with the condition of a particular church in a little village he would he would begin to ask people the question how are you doing (laughs) how are you doing tell me about the life your your spiritual life and the life of your people your church your congregation tell me tell me about what god is doing and the most common he tells this story a number of times the most common response that he received And this grieved him to no end. The most common response he said was, we're doing the best we can. We're we're doing the best we can. (laughs) And of course, no surprise, right? We we don't understand, especially when the going gets tough. Maybe you can picture here in some old beautiful Scottish church somewhere. No one's there. Everything seems grim. However, listen, however, it's telling that it was the most common response when he, they were asked over his 50 years. And I'd wonder, listen, I'd wonder if some of us would answer the same. I'm doing the best I can. If, if someone were to ask you about the condition of your soul, and how your life is going, your spiritual life, or you are a leader or a servant among us in this church. He's, we're doing the best we can. I'm doing the best I can. It feels like that at Christmas, doesn't it? I'm doing the best I can. Hope Amazon delivers. Listen, it, this, is, this is what I want for us. I'm going to tell you, for, for you, for, for me, for us, if Reverend Still were to pay us a visit, and he's dead, so that'd be weird, right? But, but if he did pay us a visit, and after the service, out in the garden or out on the sidewalk, he were to ask you about how is it going in his most impressive Scottish accent, which by the way, I'm recommending. Google him and listen to. There's lots of recordings because he died in 97. You know, the internet, all that stuff, recordings are already in place. His, his accent is ridiculous. But listen, and I'm not going to try to do a Scottish accent. You'd say the same thing after I tried. Oh, <laughs> so don't. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it. And he asked, how, how is it going? You personally or us corporately, I, I pray for all of us that our response more often than not, I understand some, I'm just trying to make it, but it wouldn't be I'm doing the best I can, but rather something to the effect of, God is on my side. God is on my side. God is on our side. What else else 
could be said? What more could be said about you and us? Our entire existence has been, is presently, and will be for all of eternity, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of whether or not we are healthy or sick or rich or poor, or beautiful or just plain or interesting or boring or strong or weak, how you finish in 2022, what, what troubles lie ahead in 2023 for you personally, your family, for us, Sovereign Grace Church, I have no idea. Best laid plans. How's it going? God's on my side. God's on my side. Now listen, let me ask you the question we all came to answer. This is the question we all come to answer every Sunday morning when we gather. What is it that you and I need to do? What is it that you and I need to do in order for this to be true? For God to be on our side, to, for God to be on your side tonight. <laughs> That's exactly what has caused this terrible disruption in this first century, these churches in Galatia. What do we need to do in order for God to be on our side, for us to be on His side? For us to be God's people rather than God's enemies. And let's be clear, there's no neutral territory in the Bible. No middle ground. You're either family or foe. Family or foe. What must you do to be family? And the answer, once again, and we're going to bump into it over and over again in Galatians. Believe. Trust. Receive the works, the doings of Christ. What he did, what, what he accomplished, what belongs to him, including a God is on my side, Father's on my side experience, which is called blessing. Not, listen, the answer is not what I have done or what I'm doing or what I will do. This is why the, the, why the I am doing the best I can can't be our answer to the question. Not ultimately, not even frequently. I would say overwhelmingly it needs to be some, some, some version of Christ crucified. My doings, listen, your doings are not the foundation of how you're doing. <laughs> not the foundation of your well-being. And if you ever want to say that God is blessing me, it must be in what Christ has done. Not I am doing my best. <laughs> and what has he done nothing short of everything that you need to do? 
If you look back at the text, that's exactly what's being addressed in our passage. The Apostle Paul has laid out the truth of the gospel after two chapters establishing the authenticity of his too-good-to-be-true message of forgiveness and reconciliation and being made whole and united to, to God himself in Christ. And then he breaks into a, after doing all that, a whole nother level of rhetoric. Fighting words. Verse 1, if you look again. Look with me, an entire paragraph of questions designed to lead you to one conclusion, that we are saved by grace through faith and not by your efforts. None of your doings count for nothing with what we're talking about here in Genesis 3. What does he say, verse 1? Oh, foolish Galatians. Now, that's the English Standard Version translation. Uh, some would say that a better one would be you stupid Galatians, you idiots Galatians, um, it, oh foolish Californians. <laughs> and that second phrase, who has bewitched you? That's a good word. That word's not common in the scriptures, is it? The who has bewitched you, we're talking about like the stink eye. Like who, who's got this eye for you? Who has this crazy eye in you, has, has put a spell on you? And then he catches catch the eye right here. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It was before your eyes. How am I doing? Is God on my side? Who, who are God's people and not God's people? And Paul says, hey, who bewitched you? Christ was publicly portrayed the, the word they're often translated all, all the time placard for you like a sign like a flyer like a, like a card that we carry around saying christ crucified publicly publicly portrayed displayed communicated no question no doubt he was crucified that's how i'm doing What he sp we spoke of Pastor Dustin preached last week that he laid down his life. He, he gave himself for us. He loved me and died for me. And then Paul asks one question. Well, did you catch that there? He says, let me just ask you one thing. And then he asks a whole paragraph of questions. And I want to look at those questions because one of, the, one of the ways we can experience the how am I doing? God is on my side is you might say, our own personal experience, our stories, our testimonies. And so he asks them a series of questions, which all are leading questions. They're all uh, questions that really don't need to be answered, but we're going to answer them anyways because I'm a preacher. Verse 2, watch what he says. He says, let me ask you only this. Now he's going to ask them a whole bunch of questions, but here he goes. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He, he he portrays the reception of the gospel, this faith, this receiving Christ crucified, his works, his doings, to condition my, how am I doing, by this little phrase, received the Spirit. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? As in your own efforts? Or by hearing 
with faith. The Spirit, Paul, this is a little, you kind of read between the lines. Paul, Paul's connecting the dots here. There's no Spirit. There's no Spirit without re- justification, regeneration, all of God's work. He, he, he converts us in a moment, born again, born of the Spirit, and so we have the Spirit. Were, were you, to ask, say it a different way, kind of what he's implying, were you justified by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit? Did you experience that? I experienced that. Did you experience that, Paul is saying? And he knows the answer to the question. The answer is, by faith. Before I had done anything, God had already awakened my soul and, and filled me with His Spirit. I was united to Christ and I experienced His life. I died to myself and now li- the life I live, I live in Christ. Two. My experience of the Spirit and my experience of new birth and all that comes with that, including that God stands on my side now and for me, indivisibly linked. The answer, the the argument's already settled, but but he's going to go on. Number uh, number two, or second ver- question, third question, I'm losing count already. Verse three, are you so foolish? Don't answer that question. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? I'm asking the question, so it's okay. Okay, we all agree. Something happened. I experienced the empowerment and enlightenment, the, the life-giving power of the Spirit. I, I, I believed and had faith and received Christ. The old, I asked Jesus into my heart. <laughs> okay, so you did that way. Well, now are you going to start to do it? Your own way? Are you supposed to pick up the slack now, Paul is asking? Are you, are you supposed to be the one who carries the ball then down the field? One scholar says, by asking about how they receive the Spirit, Paul assumes, that, that it, Paul assumes something that is central to his theology. Listen, when a person comes to Christ and is justified, that person receives the Spirit of God. A mark of the new age of salvation predicted by all the prophets. We heard this when we were studying the book of Acts just a few months ago. Paul Paul is saying the only way you could top (laughs) this kind of folly, you could be so foolish, would be to try to finish the Christian life in your own strength. How foolish would that be? Something I couldn't do that God began and, and, if, and if you want to be foolish, would be then to try to wrestle the, the baton from God and let him watch you try to run the rest on your own. Next question, verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? It's kind of silly. He's just kind of just poking him at at this point. Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? And he knows that they have been suffering on account of their faith and he's saying it's not in vain and you know it's not in vain. Verse 5, another question. Does he, 
Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What a great question. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you, does he and, and does miracles among you, who, who you see God at work, his, his power at work among us and in, at work in, he basically, is he doing that as kind of a return on your investment in him? Are you somehow depositing favor from God that God might show favor upon you? And that'd be the question I think our old Reverend William Still would bump into regularly is, and I could imagine this sitting in a church saying, what, what's going on with my life and, and my church? Sitting there saying, we must be doing something wrong. Wrong question. <laughs> he might be doing something wrong. But if the, we must be doing something wrong, God is no longer blessing us, is no longer for us. You couldn't be farther from the truth even in our worst, worst circumstances, our darkest nights. Oh, this is something we can hang our hats on and trust in. That the one who supplies the Spirit does so. Does so because we trust Him and believe. Verse 6, end of that paragraph, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Could, could it be? Could it be that just as Abraham believed God and then it was counted to him as righteousness, so it is the same with us? How is it that we began by faith and faith alone? How will it be that we progress and experience his ongoing power in our life by faith? and faith alone? How is it ultimately that we will persevere to the end and He will keep us to the end? It won't be that I keep myself, but that He will keep me by faith. And faith alone. What, 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 what must I do to remain in the good graces of God? What, what do you believe about that? What, what must you do to remain in the good graces of God? I'm not asking you, what must you do now that you are following your Savior, you're a disciple of Christ, and He is calling you to live for Him and to love Him and to serve Him and to be a witness of Him and His grace here in this city and in your families and on Christmas Day. I'm talking about what must I do to be able to say all the way through that? God's on my side. Today was not such a hot day. My performance stunk as a Christian, as a dad, as a husband, wife, single person, student, whatever. What must I do to be able to continue to say, in spite of it all, I know because right at the beginning of it all, I trusted him. And when I trusted him and received Christ and all that he had done, I knew that that work was finished. 
we make countless, I, I know you do, I do, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess we all do. We make countless value judgments every day. We're evaluating things. What about your relationship with God? Paul's answer is right there in verse 1. Here's how we will say, fine-tune and get out of the, I'm doing the best I can and into God is on my side, is that we go back and back and we remind ourselves that it was before your eyes. And so, oh, this is where you love theolo- like scholars, theolo- theologians, stuff like that. They'll pour bo- pages and pages and pages, and I read pages and pages this week about how he didn't mean that they actually, the Galatians, saw that Jesus crucified. And I'm just like, oh, we wasted all our time reading that. That was obvious. Paul meant, by faith, your eyes, right? It was before your very eyes. Here, maybe here for the first time, might have been in a church or from a Christian you met years ago. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was not offered as a life coach, (laughs) a guide, a teacher. No, he was offered as crucified on your behalf for your sins, my sins, all of my rebellion. I met a gentleman this week. I was sitting out with my dog, Mickey, and uh, another guy that I'd seen around a lot. Dogs can do this. He had a little dog, and my dog's about this big, and his dog was about that big. And uh, Mickey and Buddy became friends this week. And as we sat there, and we talked, and we talked, and we talked, and he started talking about politics. Then he started talking about Orange, City of Orange and it's too busy and that we all need to leave. And I'm like, we're all new here. Uh, <laughs> and then, and, then, and then, he, then he got down to religion and faith and all those kinds of things. I said, oh, oh here we go. And then he, they told me about his brother who happened to be the pastor of one of the largest churches in Los Angeles <laughs> and had just retired. And how he had heard over and over and over again how Jesus died for his sins. He has, and it's, he has exactly what you and I need. The difference is, he doesn't believe. He hasn't received that work, but he continues to work it out himself. For you and I, it was placard before you. I don't know what your story is, but my story, it was placard before me, and I was undone. And I was new. And I received the Spirit. And the life and the world went into color. And I need that same reality, that same vision of Christ crucified today as I needed on that first day. We, we don't need the law like we heard last week. Oh, there's uses for the law, but not when we're talking about this. We don't need the law when it comes to is God on our side. We have Jesus. Hmm. One scholar writes, this flies in the faith, faith of all traditional religion. 
And, and don't be fooled. Christianity is religion too. <laughs> Read your Bible. Google it. It's there. The word religion is there for you. But here's what he, this scholar is saying. This, this flies in the face of all traditional religion, which tells us that either we are living righteously and are therefore pleasing and acceptable to God. That is how the world works, right? We are either living righteously in the right way and are therefore pleasing and acceptable to God, or we are living unrighteously and are therefore alienated from God. There are only two. We could break everything up into two. One plus all the others. We are either living righteously and therefore pleasing and acceptable to God, or we are living unrighteously and are therefore alienated to God. But Paul, he writes, Paul is showing that it is possible to be loved and accepted by God while we ourselves are still sinful and imperfect. How are you doing? Don't answer that question by thinking about yourself. Jesus was publicly placard for you. All the law and any new rules you make up in your heart, and call that legalism. I'm going to keep more rules up for me, my special guidebook to me and my salvation. Listen, all of it won't lift a finger to save you. It was all designed. It was all designed to push you. And we're going to see this in the book of Galatians. It's so good, I'm going to save it. You can push you, teach you, train you, lead you to receive Christ and what he did for you. Only Oh, this is so beautiful here. And, and ooh, again, I'm just saving so much stuff for the book of Galatians. The whole second half is about the Spirit. So if you're wondering, there's so much stuff to talk about the Spirit here. It's all in there. It's going to be fabulous. But here, just, just, the law, the, the law's not there to, to save you, has saved nobody. That was the last chapter. But the Spirit, God, huh, God at work in you, rather than God's work, or God's rules for you to live a better you. No, God at work in you, the power of God, God himself inside you, united to you, the spirit of Christ and you. That grant, that, that has the potential, has it more than potential, it has the 100% guarantee of the success of your Christian life. Persevering until glory. <laughs> uh, one scholar, he said, a Christian, and this is so true, this, a Christian is not someone who knows about Jesus, but one who has seen Jesus on the cross. A Christian, a Christian isn't someone who knows about Jesus. Golly, in Southern California, 2022, everybody knows about Jesus. 
but for those who by faith see him. God is on their side. The gospel. The truth of the gospel. And here it is again. Here it is again. The truth of the gospel that it's not good advice. It's not, it's not good advice. It's good news about Jesus. Not an invitation for us to do anything, but rather a declaration. A pro- proclamation of what God has already done and is doing. Now we read in us today. As John Stott said, another old scholar, he probably went to William Still's church as well, I don't know. But John Stott, he said, the gospel is not a demand. It's an offer. An offer to receive Christ and in receiving Christ forevermore to be able to say, regardless of me and all of this, I know God is on my side. God is on my side. We got to preach that to ourselves every day. Hmm. Okay. An argument from your experience. Let me just show you. Paul also going to like kick him in the shins and show him from history itself. Arguing now from history. Look at verse 7. Really, you could pick it up on verse 6, but verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. This is the first time we hear Abraham. He's going to play a big role for a big section of the Galatians. But here it is. A patriarch. A, a father of the faith. And this, this phrase here, sons of Abraham, is talking about the people of God. Know then that it is those. So he just answered, he's going to answer all the questions for you. You know the answer, but here you go. Know it is those of faith, not works, right? Who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. This was always embedded in the gospel, this was always embedded in his scripture preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, and I could spend hours talking about this, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. And let's just be clear, Abraham is before the, the advent and the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So then you can ask the question, how could he be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to Abraham before Abraham or any of us knew his name and had seen what he had done? And he's going to talk about Abraham and all of that coming up in the book of Galatians. I'm putting all these ads in. 2023 is going to be a great year. All the way back, God was saying, and here it is in the middle of verse 8, in you, Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. And remember, we're talking, we're talking about a huge cultural, racial, historic, geographic, you name it, division. You think America's divided today? (laughs) This world, this ancient Near Eastern world? Oh man, we got nothing on them. You know the parables and the stories in the gospel. The 
Israel, the, the Jews and the Gentiles did not get along. I watched a video this week from a Jewish Christian talking about just this divide. And it was really, he said it, it's a new video. He said, it was us versus the world. It's us. Everybody else, we're against them. God's against them. Family and foe. And here comes way, way back before anything what we're talking about right now. Here comes, in you, Abraham, shall all the nations be blessed. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, listen very quickly. Here's an exercise, a sword drill, if you know the old Christian. I'm going to have you turn back to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. You can forget about Galatians for the next few minutes, and our last few minutes together. Uh, and if you're on a device, just Google Genesis 17 ESV, and you're going to find it there. We want to look at what Paul is doing, because Paul is making an argument from history. This is in the books. Everybody agrees with it. Both the Judaizers, the circumcision party, which is not much of a party in my book, but it was the circumcision party. And, and the Gentiles, which are represented by this, these Galatian churches. Genesis 17, verse 9. This is where they all were going to. Here it is. This is what's been going on in Galatia. Genesis 17, verse 9. Listen, he says, And God said to Abraham, there he is, As for you, you shall keep my covenant and agreement with me, a promise between us. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. There's the party favor. Verse 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. Now we're asking the question if you didn't know what circumcision is. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Who's in? Who's out? Who does God accept? Who does God reject? You just got to check, which is what we were reading in chapter 1 and 2, were we not? They're spying on their freedom not to be circumcised. Verse 12, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations. No, there's no women being circumcised here, right? No females. Whether born in your house or brought, bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring. Bummer if you got bought as a slave. <laughs> Verse 13, both he who is born in your house and he who is brought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any circumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. The circumcision party and everybody that's been arguing for two chapters, they love this passage. This is the man of faith. God made a covenant with Abraham. Paul actually just backs it up a little and goes back to chapter 15. Turn back a page or two or scroll a little bit on your device. Chapter 15 is where actually the whole story starts, and this is where Paul goes back to. He goes, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, but let me show you something. This is what he's quoting. He says, verse, chapter 15, verse 1, Genesis, after these things the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a, Abram in a vision, fear not, Abram, Notice he has a different name at this point. He's not 
He's, he's not a Jew. This is, this is pre-Jewish Abraham. <laughs> Say it that way. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house of Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, God said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. <clears throat> Abram was made righteous. He was justified before he was circumcised. You can just imagine, Paul, drop the mic, right? <laughs> Whoops. Should have just went back two more chapters. As I heard one, one preacher say once about, about this, believing in Jesus, Paul's saying, was about the most Jewish thing you could do. <laughs> believing in Jesus was about the Jew, most Jewish thing you do. There is that promised son. Jesus. And if I will have him by faith like Abraham had him by faith, then I would join Abraham in being a man of faith or a woman of faith, child of Abraham, a true son of Abraham, one that God accepts. One that God accepts. Listen, whatever your version of it is, the founder of our denomination years ago, C.J. Mahaney, used to always say, it's all over the internet, he would say it, it was famous for it, that when someone would ask how he's doing, he'd say, better than I deserve, which is true. Which is true. Better than I deserve. Or to say it my way, God is on my side. Who shall I fear? Here's the symptoms of a person who's struggling to believe this. And I'll end here and pray. When thinking about yourself, you experience anxiety. There's no peace in your soul when you think about your faith and your relationship with God. There's a weariness in your soul. I got to do more. I didn't do enough. Like a treadmill. There's there's an experience of judgmentalism, a symptom of I'm out there judging everybody and judging myself, but I'm pretty good at judging. I'm a, I'm a good judge of other people's character, other people's justification based on their performance rather than what Christ has done. Oh, anxiety, weariness, judgmentalism, a hopelessness, uh, at times could be some sort of depression, a, 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 a spiritual depression where everything is just a little off, a little blue, because what? Because me, and you, and everybody, 
right? A, a lack of assurance. I'm One day, I'm confident Christ has saved me. The next day, I'm not. Why? Because of me. Not because of what anything He's done or had done or will do for me but, and His promises, but me. A joylessness. I th- not for everybody, but I think for some, you, you got to take yourself not so seriously when you know that it, it's not about you. I think laughter trails right behind the person. The person who has witnesses and seen and received Christ. There's, a, there's even a laughter among them. Sleeplessness could be there, which is a gift from God, which can, you can get in the way of that by thinking about yourself too much. A list of to-dos that goes too long. A desire to hear sermons that convict you. Where you say, oh, that was good. I felt so bad about myself, and then you go, oh no, it doesn't matter what you feel. Have you not considered? We were talking about Jesus all morning, and you left thinking about yourself. Listen, how are you doing? There might be too much of you in your Christianity. How are you doing? Consider Christ. Look, that's me. The life I now live, I live in Christ. I'm united to him in faith. He's my only hope and comfort each and every day for the rest of my Christian life. Oh, I pray that's our answer. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, oh, your spirit that is at work among us. Father, that it illuminates and enlivens our hearts. We hear the word and the gospel preached and it it brings us joy and delights us and strength and life and perseverance. Father, but I pray as well you would use it. Don't let anyone leave this morning without, without a new dose of a sight of you on Calvary. For your glory. (laughs) For your glory. For our joy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.